Okay. Before I start, does everyone have their Bible? Yeah? Because if somebody doesn't have their Bible, I'm willing to share mine. It's pink, but it's nice. It's a real Bible. Does anybody want a Bible? No? Okay. <laughs> okay, if you don't have a Bible, I just encourage you to sit next to somebody who does because we're going to be really going into the Word today. Okay? Um, so, yeah, welcome to New Philly Seaside. Um, like I shared, my name is Pastor Lydia, and I'm the community care pastor here. Um, our lead pastors, Pastor Mina and Pastor Caleb, are not with us today because they are on their pre-baby vacation in Phuket. Is that right? Yeah, yeah they're in Phuket, right? So they are in the warm weather enjoying um, just the time on the beach, right? And, yeah, it looks like they're having a lot of fun from all the pictures. Um, so I have the honor of preaching the word today. And if you're ready to hear the word, say, I'm ready. Yes, okay. Um, today's verse comes from the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. And the book of Haggai, if you don't know where it is, it's in the Old Testament and is sandwiched between Zephaniah and Zechariah. It can be a little difficult to find because it's a very short book. So if you can't find it, you can always look in the front of the Bible and there's a page number that will help you. <laughs> I confess I've done that before. Um, and before we read our verse for today, I just want to give you a historical background of the passage. Okay? Um, as you may already know, Jerusalem was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon. So he came to Jerusalem, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed Solomon's temple, and then he took most of the Jews uh, to, to Babylon. He took them captive to Babylon. But then decades later, under King Cyrus of Persia, the Jews were able to return back to Jerusalem in three waves, three different waves, right? And on their return, the first thing that they started to do was they started to immediately rebuild the temple. So this was their second temple. But then as they were starting to rebuild the temple, there was a lot of opposition. And so the building was postponed for about 16 to 17 years. Mm -hmm. And during that time, the Israelite community became very apathetic. And they just completely just stopped everything, right? And Haggai is writing, he's a prophet who's writing to the restoration community who's in the state of apathy. And he's writing to encourage them to finish the things that they have started, the work that they have started. He's writing to lift them out of their apathy. So the book of Haggai is actually divided into four oracles, okay? four messages, and we're going to look at the fourth and final oracle that he writes to a man named Zerubbabel. Everyone say Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. What a fun name. I was thinking I want to name my son Zerubbabel. <laughs> Poor kid will have a hard life, but it'll be so much fun for me to say, right? Um, so who's Zerubbabel, right? Uh, Zerubbabel was actually the Jewish governor of Judah. Okay, so Judah is um, the Israelite community that we're talking about. So he was the one in authority over um, the Israelite community. And he, along with the high priest Joshua, they led the first wave of Jewish exiles back to Jerusalem. And another thing about Zerubbabel that's kind of interesting is that he's in the line of King David. So he's the descendant of David. And he was actually the grandson of the last king of Judah right before Babylon plundered the city. 
Okay, so just keep that in mind that he's in the Davidic line. Okay, um, so let's open up our Bibles to Haggai 2, 20 to 23, and let's read it together. I want us to read all at one in unison. Okay, you ready? Okay, uh, ready, set, go. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdom of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shotel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So here God tells Zerubbabel through the prophet Haggai that he's going to shake up the heavens and the earth and he's going to overthrow the kingdoms and destroy the strength of nations. Okay? And, you know, even in our days, in, even in our day, there's a lot of nations, right? Does anybody know how many nations are in the world today? No? Any guesses? No? <laughs> okay, th- Google told me <laughs> that there are 196 nations, Okay? And, of course, this number has fluctuated, right, over the centuries, over the millenniums. Um, and because it's because that there's no nation that is permanent, mm-hmm. but every nation has risen and then fallen. Right. But have you ever wondered why? You know, especially the great empires, like, why do these nations fall? Mm-hmm. The why, did, why did Assyria, Egypt, Persia, Rome, why did these uh, kingdoms and these empires all rise and then eventually fall, okay? And historians have tried to kind of come up with different reasons. Um, Some think about it as, oh, well, you know, it's because of wars and in the military spending. And others attribute it to financial crisis, like inflation or unemployment. And the others see as political division, or there's other threats like, you know, environmental disasters, right? But many people fail to see that in the word of God, it says that it is God who has the authority to pluck up nations. You know, it is God who overthrows kingdoms. And as Christians, our eyes should not just be open to the natural causes, but to also see the hand of God in the rise and the fall of nations. You know, I'm from the United States of America. I'm a U.S. citizen. And even the U.S. (laughs) Yay, U.S. Yay, Canada. Canada. Yay, etc. <laughs> you know, other, um, all these nations, we, most of us come from pretty well-to-do nations, right? Powerful right. nations. And I think the U.S. is probably the superpower of the world right now. Um, okay, there goes that. Um, but, you know, even the U.S. will eventually fall. Even the United States that it has an expiration date. Because the only kingdom that is eternal is God's kingdom. Right. Okay? And God sets kings in places of authority, but he also removes them from that place of authority. Now, he's the one who, in Haggai it says, he's the one who overthrows the chariots and the riders. Mm-hmm. So no matter how powerful the military is, God can overthrow it, you know, in a second, right? Yeah. And so in this last message by Haggai, he's actually prophesying about the last days. Okay, everyone say the last days. The last days. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Before I go further, I want to read verse 6 through 7 um, in the same chapter. Okay, I'm just going to read it, so follow along. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So here God, he says pretty much the same thing. He's like, I'm going to shake the nations. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the dry land. Okay? And so when he says all nations, he's not just talking about Persia, which was the nation, the kingdom that Israel was subordinate to at the time. He's saying all nations, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's saying that he's, he's going to bring about supernatural signs and wonders where the moon will be darkened, right? Yeah. And, the, and yeah. the sun will be darkened mm-hmm. and there will be droughts and earthquakes and floods and hurricanes. And God's just going to shake it, shake the earth and the heavens up. And this shaking is also going to manifest through wars, through, through the shaking and the falling of nations. And Jesus himself prophesies in Matthew 24. He says, For nation will rise against nation, mm-hmm. and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Mm-hmm. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So, you know, I'm talking about the last days today. And it's not exactly the funnest message. You know, no one's like, whoo, last days. Yeah, right? Um, but it's, it's a message that I believe that our generation must face. Um, because we are the generation closest to the coming of Christ. Right. Okay? And it's kind of a bitter pill, right, that we swallow. But once you learn to swallow it, once it digests in you, it will strengthen you. It's, you know, it's not like a gummy bear vitamin kind of pill. But it's a bitter pill that once you really take it in, once you face it and you accept it, then it will, it will strengthen you. But not only that, it's going to prepare you. You know, it's going to really build you up for the end times and also um, the beginning of the reign of Christ upon this earth. And, you know, I think one thing, like, when, you, when we start thinking of end times, a lot of times our mind goes to, like, apocalyptic movies, mm-hmm. right? And we, we <laughs> see all these different kinds of, we have all these different kinds of images about the end times. But, you know, according to the word, um, really the end times, the focus is on Jesus Christ. No, it's the end time, but the end is the beginning of a new era. And that's the reign of Christ. Mm. And we must not lose focus on Jesus Christ. Okay? The focus is not persecution. The focus is not tribulation. The focus is Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, But some of you may think, well, this is kind of irrelevant to me. Like, it's not going to happen in my lifetime. Like, you know, wars have always happened. And we're rational people. We can get along um, like this kind of shaking, like it's, it's not going to really happen, right? And and sure, like I think with technological advancements, with like higher education, uh, we thought that the world we become finally like civilized and that people will learn to live together in peace and in harmony, right? World peace, right? But actually, did you know that the 20th century was the bloodiest century in history? You know, you had World War One. You have World War II, the Korean War, uh, Vietnam War, um, etc. And you also have mass murders like the Holocaust, right? So in spite of the fact that people were more um, educated, that technology was advanced, um, these kind of wars and, and uh, yeah, disasters still happen. And so 
in the 21st century that we're living in right now, at least in our side of the world, we're living in peace. Of course, we have North Korea, you know, threatening us, but <laughs> we're in Busan, we're safer. <laughs> so we're living in peace. Um, and even though we are living in peace, it does not mean that you shouldn't ready yourself mm-hmm. for the time of shaking that is to come. And God promises in his word that this time of shaking will come. It is a promise. You know, it is something that will be fulfilled. And so you need to hear this message. You need to wake up and be alert. Okay? So I want you to wake up. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if your neighbor starts to fall asleep, I want you to pinch them. <laughs> No, but seriously, like, I, I need everyone to stay alert, and I may call you out if I see you um, start sleeping. Okay. So, like I said, Haggai is prophesying apocalyptic message. Um, and his message is not a personal message to Zerubbabel. Even though he addre- addresses Zerubbabel, right. it's not a personal message to Zerubbabel. And it's not just confined to Zerubbabel's political and and social circumstance at the time. But he is um, preaching an apocalyptic message. And what is apocalypse, right? Um, We usually think of apocalypse as the end times, you know, and and everything just is ravaged. The world is left, like, completely undone. Um, (laughs) Movies like Waterworld that I just watched recently or, like, you know, things like that. But apocalypse in the Greek word it actually means revelation, okay? It means an uncovering or a lifting of a veil. And so what Haggai is doing here is he is uncovering, he is giving revelation, of not just about the present circumstance, but about a future reality, even as far ahead as the second coming of Christ, okay? And one thing I just want to mention, um, in verse 6 we read, God says, in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth. Okay, when God says in a little while, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt because God's in a little while is a little different from our in a little while because we live about, I don't know, let's say 80 years, right? And our in a little while is maybe under 10 years, but God has existed from eternity. And so his in a little while is a little longer than what we may think. Okay, and it's been 2,500 years since this word has been given. Okay, to Zerubbabel, and he has yet to be fulfilled. That means that if a prophet comes to you and he says, Rosie, in a little while, you will get married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, first of all, someone should not be prophesying that kind of thing, but um, even, even if you know, this really is a word from the Lord, in a little while can mean, I don't know, okay, I'm not going to say it, but you know, it's not what we think as in a little while, okay? So, does that mean that we can just be like, oh, then it means like, oh, whatever, I don't have to worry about it because God's in a little while is a lot longer. No, it means that we learn to interpret the signs and the times of, our se- of the season that we are in, okay? So, if you go, you know, on the internet, you watch the news, there's earthquakes here in this country, and then next day there's another earthquake here, or there's a flood here, you know, and there's hurricanes here. And, and you really see that God has already started to shake up the nations. And he's already started to shake up the heavens and the earth. You know, nations have fallen, like the Soviet Union, right? Or Iraq, it fell overnight. And I believe that even for North Korea, you know, we want to see North, the North Korean 
regime fall, right? And it can fall through many different circumstances. And, you know, in the end, people may look at it and, and study and say, oh, it fell because of these, these, and, you know, these reasons. But really, it is God who overthrows kingdoms. And as God's people, you know, we need to be ready for the shaking, um, and we need to be awake and alert, okay? So I told you that we're going to go through a lot of verses, right? Okay, the next verse is Hebrews 12, 26. Can you all turn there? Hebrews 12, 26. Okay, let's read it together. Okay. One, two, three. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. So brothers and sisters, you know, earthly kingdoms may rise and fall, but through Christ we have received a kingdom that can never be shaken. It's a kingdom that will never be shaken. Right. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay. As sons of God, this is your inheritance. Okay? You've inherited a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a kingdom that will endure forever, a kingdom that will go from glory to glory to glory. Okay? For the government, it says in the word, the government will rest upon his shoulders. Okay? And in the midst of the shaking, we're called to offer God acceptable worship yeah. with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And the Bible often, you know, talks about God as a consuming fire. Mm -hmm. And this living fire, when you accept Jesus, he, it, this living fire, it, it dwells inside of you as well. And what that means is that, you know, no matter how, uh, what kind of tribulation you go through, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the shaking, that the, the external things will not be able to consume you because you're already consumed by the fire of God, okay? So you're going to be, it's going to be like, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They were thrown into the, the blazing furnace, but yeah. they came out, they were left untouched, okay? So in the same way, um, for the church, the church of God, our purpose is to stand firm, to be grounded firmly upon the hope that is in Christ Jesus. Yeah. You know, it's to persevere in joy and in faith and to offer God acceptable Hallelujah. worship. Psalm 62, 2. I'm going to read it. It says, Truly, He is my rock mm -hmm. and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Yeah. I want you to repeat after me, okay? He is my rock. He is my rock. He is my salvation. He is my salvation. He is my fortress. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. I will never be shaken. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, I will never be shaken. I will never be shaken. Oh, yes. Okay, but why is it that, you know, when you look at the church and you look at so many Christians, a lot of people, they go through a lot of shaking, okay? You see a lot of Christians, they just, um, they don't have that firmly established kind of faith, 
Okay, there are a lot of Christians, and even the spiritual Christians, they go through the shaking. Okay, so I'm going to give you three reasons why Christians often go through the shaking. Okay, number one reason is uh, they don't read the Bible. Okay, mm. you're like, I already know that, but let me explain a little more. Okay. Break it down. Um, so. A lot of Christians don't read the Bible. It could be for various reasons. Whether they don't have a hunger for it, or you're just purely lazy, or you're busy, or whatever it is. People who do not read the Word of God will, go, uh, will be easily shaken. Okay? And you see, uh, faith is not transferable. Holiness and righteousness is not transferable. No matter how many times I pray for you, you cannot have the faith that I've developed in my relationship with the Lord. So what that means is that you need to develop your faith in your relationship with the Lord, right? right? right. You have to build it up yourself. And Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So you must hear the word of Christ. You must read Mm -hmm. the word of God and you must develop your faith in that way. Okay. Um, Okay, back in our early church plant days, uh, we, you know, we're, we kind of lounge around in, you know, our apartments and stuff. And um, the church plant team was together. And then uh, Noble, our brother Noble and Kelly decided to have a wee boxing match. Okay. And actually, Noble lost. <laughs> really sorry for calling you out, Noble. Maybe I should have asked permission. But, uh, but Kelly, Kelly, Kelly won. And... And the thing, I, I, don't, I don't think it's so much a comment on Noble as it is on Kelly because she's, if you know her, she's very competitive. She hates losing, okay? She seriously hates it. And even if it's, the, even if it's something that she's doing for the first time, she will beat you, okay? <laughs> so, but, you know, I was watching her play from behind and she's like wearing a dress and <laughs> she's doing this, uh, this, you know, all these vicious boxing, you know, moves. And I was like, wow, you know, so amazed. And, you know, eventually she won and and she was left like out of breath. But, you know, even if Kelly won that first time or second time, I can't remember how many times, but she will eventually, I think, um, I think Noble has a chance of of at the end of beating her if if the game had continued. Mm. Because I think he is a lot more fit, you know. (laughs) Mm-hmm. He's taken time to really build up his body, right? right? And if Kelly really wanted to, uh, to become an actual boxer, then she would need to practice right. and she would need to train, right? Mm-hmm. And in any kind of athletic competition, if you eat only once a week, you, know, you train only once a week, and you don't set your mind on victory, you're not going to go very far, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But you know, a lot of Christians, they, they live with this kind of spiritual lifestyle, and they keep getting knocked out. They keep getting KO'd. And they're like, why? No. But they're eating only once a week. They come to Sunday. They mm, get the sermon. And they're like, good. all right, I'm good. Yeah. But that's not... And then, and then a lot of times, you know, they feel that weakness and that vulnerability. And then they say, oh, when I am weak, you know, God's strength is perfected in me. Mm. But, you know, that verse doesn't apply to that kind of weakness. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of weakness, you just got to eat the word, right, okay? And you'll right. get strong, Okay. And a lot of times, when you don't read the word of God, Satan convinces you that you being KO'd is, is the norm. You know, it's the norm to, to fall and then rise up, and to fall and to rise up, and to fall and to rise up. And you think that's just a normal pattern 
that you know every Christian has to live under. But you know the word of God it says that God has given you every spiritual resource, every spiritual weapon is in your hands, and that means that you can live a life of victory. But what it requires is that you read the word of God. Amen. Amen. Okay. Second reason. Hey, so many Christians are shakable because they read but they don't obey. Okay. In the Bible, it talks about a wise man. Who hears the word and then puts it into practice? Okay, and this is the man who builds his house on rock, and and this house it does not fall no matter what kind of storm comes against it. But a lot of people they hear the word and it stops there. Okay, and Matthew seven twenty six says, "But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down." The streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, mm-hmm. and it fell with a great crash. Yeah. Okay, so the house can look the same on the outside. You know, it can have the, you can use the same materials, you can build with the same architecture, but the house falls with a great crash whenever a storm comes. And why is that? It's because the foundation is faulty. Okay. And your foundation is not just your knowledge, okay? It's not just your Bible knowledge, because you can accumulate all this Bible knowledge. You can read and、um, all these books, and you can listen to all these podcasts. You can have spiritual experiences, multiple heavenly visitations. But if you're if you are not grounded in the Word of God, and if you are not actually obeying all of the things that you are receiving, it it does not. Provide that firm foundation for you, okay? So you need,、um, yeah. So you know, a lot of us we we live under like a fountain of information, you know. But there's actually no change in our lives, and it's because there's no steps in our it, that we make towards obedience, right? And what that means is that information you can receive information, but what you really need is revelation, okay? Because You, as a, you know, as people of God, we need to be a people of revelation. Okay, people who walk in the light and who are moving forward. Okay.、Mm. Okay. So Psalm one twenty five one says, "Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever." Okay. And so those who read and obey the word of God, these are the people who. Trust in the Lord, and these are the people who are like Mount Zion, who cannot be shaken, because mountains are very durable, right? All right. Third reason why people are shakable: people don't dig into the Bible. Okay, the Bible is meant to be searched. Okay, it's meant to be mined for the treasure that it holds.、Uh, one of the best buffets that I've been to personally is the Grand Apple Buffet in Santam. Has anybody been there? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't. I haven't been to that many buffets, so I don't know how it compares. But、um, it was pretty, pretty nice, right? And when I went there, I remember the last time I was there, my roommate Anna. She, all of a sudden, she started to crave seaweed soup, right? Korean biokuk, and and she hesitated because, you know, think about it. You're at a buffet. You don't really necessarily want to go for the thing, eat the things that you can get anywhere, right? right? Like you don't want to go to a buffet and just go to the salad bar all the time, okay, no matter how healthy you are.、Um, 
But so many Christians, we come before a feast that God has prepared for us, a buffet that God has prepared for us, and all we eat is like vegetables. Not, I'm not saying anything bad about vegetables, but you know, we gotta eat some meat too, okay? And, and, <laughs> gotta witness in the spirit right there. <laughs> um, John Piper, who's a famous um, pastor, he said, if you rake, you will find leaves, but if you dig, you will find gold, okay? So I want us to be um, people who dig for the gold in the Bible. And Proverbs 25, 2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. And it is for you to search out the things of God like you would search for hidden treasure. So once again, if you, want, if you read the word of God, you obey the word of God, and you dig into the word of God, then you will never be shaken. And you'll be unshakable and unmovable. Okay. Haggai, let's return to Haggai. Haggai 2, verse 23. Okay. This is the last main part that I want to talk about. Okay, I'm just going to read the verse again. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shotel declares the Lord and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So after this apocalyptic message, God all of a sudden says, I'm going to talk about a signet ring now. Now, why is God talking about uh, jewelry? No. Now, why does he tell Zerubbabel that he's going to make Zerubbabel a signet ring? And the expositors Bible commentary says that, and I quote, the mention of signet ring deserves special attention. In ancient times, the signet ring corresponded to the crown, the throne, or the scepter. And in Genesis 41:42, it says, then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. So, you know, kings use this ring. It's like a in Korean, like a tojang, right? And they used it to seal their decrees. And this ring was a sign of authority, of divine authority. Okay? And, and the person who received it from the king had the same kind of authority, right? And so Zerubbabel was only a governor, though, in this time. So what was God saying? Was he saying, Zerubbabel, I'm going to make you the next king? Because that never happened. Okay? Zerubbabel was never put on the throne, even though he was in the Davidic line. So we got to dig a little deeper you know, for us to really discover why, why God is saying this to Zerubbabel. Okay? And the first thing I want you to notice is the first three words. And what's the first three words? On that day. <laughs> okay, are you, are you guys with me? Yes. Okay, yes. on that day. Okay, so God says on that day. And what day is on that day, right? Is it the day that he's speaking to Zerubbabel? Mm. No, okay. Then on that day is part of the apocalyptic revelation that he's already been giving. Okay, on that day is the last day, the day of the Lord, okay? And the second thing that's noteworthy here is when he says, Zerubbabel, my servant, okay? And oftentimes in the prophetic books, when you see my servant, you have to take note. Because my servant is a messianic uh, term. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's talking about Jesus Christ. Right. 
So Jesus is referred to as a suffering servant. And in Isaiah 52, 13, it says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So even in Isaiah, my servant here is talking about who? Jesus. Okay. Then that term, my servant, it speaks of the Messiah. And you can say, well, it says my servant Zerubbabel. So that doesn't count, right? Your interpretation is off because it says my servant Zerubbabel. Um, but, again, another verse, Ezekiel 34.23. Ezekiel talks about a one shepherd. Okay? And he calls his shepherd my servant David. And he contrasts it with um, the evil shepherds of the day, evil leaders of the day, okay, who did not feed the sheep. But the funny thing is that during this time when, this, uh, when Ezekiel was prophesying this, uh, it was when David's era was over. It was long gone. So why did Ezekiel say, my servant David will be set over the sheep? When it's, it's, it's like David going to be resurrected, mm-hmm. you know? So here, when, when Jesus, I mean, sorry, when David um, is being mentioned as the righteous shepherd, it's actually, David is a type of Christ. Okay? He's yeah. foreshadowing Christ. Uh-huh. And, you know, I believe that God is doing the same thing here in Haggai chapter 2, when he says, my servant is Zerubbabel. And actually, the, in, in the New Testament, the only place Zerubbabel is mentioned is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Okay? So it's pointing to Jesus is pointing to the Messiah. Jesus came through the line of Zerubbabel. Okay, and when God says, my servant Zerubbabel, he saw beyond Zerubbabel and saw the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. Um, Zechariah 4.6, it also talks about Zerubbabel. And uh, starting from verse, actually, let me just read verse 8. Says, then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Okay, so it's talking about how Zerubbabel is building the temple, and he will also complete it. Mm-hmm. So physically, Zerubbabel did complete the second temple of Jerusalem. He succeeded, along with all the restoration community. But we all know that the physical temple was actually destroyed, right? There's no temple right now in Jerusalem. And, um, then where, what is the temple right now then? And, you know, God's spirit is no longer confined within walls, in physical walls, but he's put the treasure, he's put his spirit within man, within his people. And the ministry of his Holy Spirit is in these jars of clay. And so, brothers and sisters, you are the living temple of God. And Jesus is building up his kingdom. He's building his church. So what I'm saying here is that God is talking about the Messiah when he's addressing Zerubbabel, okay? This is a messianic prophecy. And the third evidence for this is in the words, I have chosen you. Um, and even in Matthew, Matthew talks about, uh, he, ref- he, he refers to a messianic prophecy in Isaiah where it says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will yeah. proclaim justice mm-hmm. to Gentiles. So here you see the same phrase. 
whom I have chosen. Yeah. So chosen one is Jesus Christ. Okay? So brothers and sisters, my point today is that Jesus Christ is the true Zerubbabel. Now, he is the chosen one. He is the suffering servant. And the governor Zerubbabel may have completed the temple, but the true Zerubbabel, he is building a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And the true Zerubbabel will provide leadership, just like Zerubbabel provided leadership mm -hmm. uh, for the Israel, Israelite community. Jesus Christ will provide leadership, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. And the foundation of his throne will be justice and righteousness. And so what God's trying to tell us is that in Haggai 2, he's saying, you know, in the last days, I'm going to shake up the nations. I will shake the heavens and the earth. But we do not need to fear. Because Jesus Christ, he is the signet ring upon the hand of God. Okay? He has established the eternal kingdom of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus has been enthroned on the hearts of men in living temples. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what that means is that my father has made me his signet ring. Mm -hmm. And with that authority, I am commanding you to go and to build up the kingdom. You know, and it's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's a kingdom that will endure forever. And I'm going to end with Acts 2.25. And this is a sermon that Peter... Um, the Apostle Peter preached at Pentecost. And he quotes uh, from the Old Testament. He says, For David says concerning him, uh, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Brothers and sisters, if you will allow Jesus Christ to rule and reign in your heart, if you allow the Lord to always go before you, to always be before you, and if you remain in his word, I guarantee that you will not be shaken. Okay? No matter what the trial, it does not matter what kind of shaking comes into your life. Because God is guaranteeing you here that you will not be shaken. Amen? Okay, let me just pray for us. Uh, Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for this promise. Father, we thank you, God, that... Um, Father, that in you, Lord, we have complete security. Lord, in you, Lord, we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. God, that you are giving us today, Lord, a kingdom, Father, that, is in, that it will endure forever, that will go, Father, from et eternity to eternity. Mm -hmm. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, that we will remember, Lord, that no matter what the circumstance may be in our lives, God, that we are unshakable and unmovable in you, Lord. Yeah, Father, we thank you, God. In your name we pray, amen.